Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. On this episode, we build with Kaylee Lefko. Kaylee is the co-founder of the Evidence-Based Social Emotional Learning and Mindfulness Program for Schools, EDUCALM. EDUCALM was developed in response to the rise in anxiety, stress, and burnout in the classroom for both students and teachers. Kaylee teaches educators worldwide how to integrate mindfulness into their lives and classrooms through professional development workshops and the Balanced Educator podcast. Kaylee holds bachelor's degrees in science and education and is a Yoga Alliance certified yoga instructor trained in vinyasa and vinyoga. She is a leader in teacher and student wellness, and we get into a fun conversation on this episode on all things mindfulness, education, and why we can't learn when we're mad. Enjoy. Super excited to welcome Kaylee Lefko to the podcast. Kaylee, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Clay. I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, and I've got some get-to-know-you questions because this is the first time you and I are talking, so I want to get to know you. The listeners want to get to know you, and you haven't seen these questions, so take no offense. Ooh, okay. Would <laughs> I'm you, ready. <laughs> would you rather give up coffee or not brush your teeth for six months? Oh my gosh, six months is a long time, but I need my coffee. Ooh, I'm going to say I'd give up coffee. I could get used to that, but I couldn't get used to not having my teeth brushed for six months. <laughs> I'm sure that your husband thanks you for that answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could listen to one and only one musical artist or band for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Ooh. First thing that comes to mind is the Beatles. They've just got feel-good music for me. <laughs> That's a good answer. They got plenty of it, and they're a classic. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Would you rather star in an action movie or a romantic comedy? Ooh, totally an action movie. Um, I was a gymnast growing up, so I think it would be really fun to get to do an action movie. <laughs> There you go. What, what's one of your favorite action movies? Oh, that's a good question. It's funny because I don't, I could probably list more romantic comedies that I like to watch, but if I were to star in it, I would prefer to star in the action movies. But I don't know. Can you call Harry saying, Potter action movies? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you just definitely pulled on Harry my heartstrings there because yeah. we're all about Harry Potter in this family. <laughs> Most of my son's Christmas gifts were like Harry Potter themed in some form or fashion. Oh, so great. So settle a debate. Are the Harry Potter movies Christmas movies? Oh, good question. Mm, I haven't thought about that before. 
I mean, I would certainly yeah. watch them over. I don't think I would categorize them as Christmas movies. Would no, you? No, no, no. But we always watched them over Christmas and thought it was just us. And then recently saw on the internet that there's a bunch of other people that always watch the Harry Potter series um, around Christmas time. And then we were analyzing it this year going, why do we feel like this is a Christmas movie? But what did you I think it's to? the magicalness. <laughs> it's mm. the music. The music in it feels like it could be music from a Christmas movie. And um, yeah, it's just the magicalness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. that's And there's a lot of scenes with winter, snow, cold, dark. So, you know, yeah. it's cold and dark and sometimes snowy. Not really snowy here. I'm sure yeah. snowy up in Canada with you, but very snowy up here. here yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, we have uh, very different temperatures right now, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, very cool. Well, I feel like I know you a little bit more, Kaylee. I appreciate you <laughs> answering some of those. Today, we're going to talk a lot about you know, mindfulness and emotions and other things. And you were starting to reach back into your childhood and maybe thinking when you start in this action film that you needed to really you know, figure out what emotions you needed to really display on the screen for us. And you were reaching back into your childhood thinking about the tantrums maybe that you threw as a kid. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's really funny because um, as an adult, I have been practicing mindfulness for many years and I'm a very like cool, calm and collected person. And I think other people would um, describe me that way as well. But when I was a kid, I went through a phase of having really huge temper tantrums. And uh, my parents tried everything to try to help me figure out how to stop having temper tantrums. I remember they, you know, they would try to talk me through it. They would, you know, one time they, they tried just like putting me in front of a mirror so I could see like, oh, wow, I'm really having an overreaction here. <laughs> I think they might have recorded it one time so that I, they, I could hear myself later once I was in a calm state. And uh, I don't know if that really, if any of those tricks helped, but I've recently become a mother. I have um, an almost eight month old son now, and I've just made the connection with how kind of where my career and interests have gone as an adult really did stem from when I was a kid and having these temper tantrums because I was just a very sensitive child. And I think that I had these temper tantrums because I didn't know how to handle the big emotions I was feeling. So that was just kind of the developmental state I was at that it came out as a temper tantrum because I didn't have any other coping strategies yet. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting now that I'm a parent to make those connections and, and thinking back to when I was young and then making those decisions of, well, how do I want to parent my child and, and, uh, what are some tweaks that I could make that could potentially be more helpful with my child's emotions if he ends up being similar to how I was when I was a kid, <laughs> big emotions. <laughs> Well, Kaylee, we're going to turn this into like a 30 second segue of Clay get some parent advice slash therapy because I've got a six year old, love him to death. He's such a wonderful, kind, sweet and thoughtful kid. But occasionally he just has this crazy tantrum just out of nowhere, which is just so such a departure from his normal behavior. So the tactics yeah. you were just referring to, give me one. Yeah. Tactic. 
Well, I think the first thing that as parents we can do is reframe what is a temper tantrum. You know, it isn't actually a behavior. They aren't acting out. Um, What they're doing is just feeling an emotion that's too big for their bodies. Their body doesn't know how to manage these emotions. Now, oftentimes we think of emotions as just these kind of like airy, fairy things that um, you know, their feelings, their touchy feely, but really they're biological shifts in our body. They are hormones being released that makes our body act in different ways than we do when our when we're calm. They are a change in our brain and how we think versus when we're calm. So it isn't the child acting out. It's just them experiencing this big biological shift in their bodies that they aren't either developmentally ready to handle or they're just not in a state where they've practiced enough to be able to regulate these emotions. So actually in practicing um, some breathing strategies, some mindfulness techniques when the child is calm, making it part of your daily routine of practicing, you know, one breathing strategy a day when they're calm. Then eventually, once they've learned it, once they understand how to breathe to make their body feel more calm, then that's something you can introduce in the actual moment of a temper tantrum where you can say, okay, I see you're feeling a really big emotion. What can we do to help you manage that emotion or ride this emotional wave or bring these big emotions that are way up into your head all the way down to your feet. And then they might say, oh, you know, I like doing five finger breathing or let's try doing some jumping jacks or any different coping mechanisms that they've tried when they're already calm, when their brain is in a state where it's ready to learn. Because our brain can only learn when we're in a calm, focused state. When we're in the midst of an emotion, We really can't learn. The part of the brain that is for learning really gets shut down. It's like closing the door to that learning center. And so if we try to teach them how to manage that temper tantrum in the moment, we're all going to get frustrated because the brain isn't ready for it. Um, So really, it's a lot of practice beforehand um, and just having grace for yourself. It's not a reflection of you as a parent that they're having a temper tantrum. It is developmentally normal. Um, And it's not a reflection of them as a child. It is just how human bodies learn and grow and develop. Um, And with some practice, we can learn to ride those waves of emotion, but it takes practice. Wow. Well, I feel like I just got free therapy, so I appreciate that. That's uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Love that. Now, does this apply to adult temper tantrums as well? The same advice. One hundred percent. And it's funny because we often think of kids and adults very differently. But um, you know, have you ever had a temper tantrum as an adult and had your partner say, "Just calm down. It's not that big of a deal. You're okay. Just relax." And then, what's your reaction to that? Like, excuse me, I that's right. not what I want to hear. What you want to hear when you're having an adult temper tantrum is your support person saying, I see you're having a really hard time. I'm oh, I'm sorry, this looks tough. How can I support you? Is there something I can do to help? And your partner might say, I need some space or I need you to help me with this. Or they probably have a good idea of what they need as support from you. And the same is true with our kids. Oftentimes they know what they need, you know wow, I see you're feeling a big emotion. That must be tough. Do you want a hug? 
Or should we go for a walk? Do you want some time alone in your room so that you can just feel this and then we can have a hug when you're done? Giving some options of things that you think might be helpful, might be a little more helpful with the kid temper tantrum because they might not know which strategies are going to help them yet. Again, pre-teaching is going to work a lot better, but with adults, it's the same thing. You want to be seen, heard, and you want to be empathized with. You don't want to be told that your emotion is wrong because it isn't. Sure. It's your yep. experience. Yep. Spot on. Kaylee, I ask every guest the same two questions. I'm shifting one for you. So we're going to get okay. to the one I ask every guest. So how would you describe what your why or your purpose is in life? My purpose, I really feel that my job in life is to experience the full spectrum of what life has to offer, the good, the bad, the ugly, and to learn and grow from those experiences. I felt that since I was a kid, um, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 13 and have had a series of other autoimmune diseases through into my adulthood. And that has always been um, really a catalyst for me to like take what life has given me and see what is this here to teach me? How can I grow from this? How can this become um, my power, not my it's not a fault. It's not a bad thing. It's something that's here to help me grow and actually become better. So yeah. And to yeah. use a word you used earlier, it's reframing what's happening to you to reframe it to say, how do, how can I learn from this? Totally. Cause you know, we can't always change what life gives us, but we can change how we decide to see it and what we decide to do with it. So for me, it's always been learning and growing, which is probably why I became a teacher because I just love the idea of learning new things and sharing it and growing through what life has to offer. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Have you read that book before? I haven't. So Viktor Frankl was uh, unfortunately in a concentration camp and um he survived and wrote this book about how he couldn't change his circumstances. He couldn't change the fact that he was in a concentration camp, but he could change how he reacted to it. And I always think about that when, you know, life throws you something tough. And I think back to Viktor Frankl, a man I never knew, but, you know, I'm sitting there thinking if he can reframe being in a concentration camp and being in the worst thing that humanity has to offer, and he can reframe it, I can deal with whatever the thing is I'm dealing with. Totally. Yeah. I'm going to have to read that book. That sounds right up my alley. In your why, you talked about a lot of things that really um, emphasize a growth mindset. It's part of the definition of a growth mindset. So usually I ask guests how they would define what a growth mindset is, but I'm going to switch it up for you because <laughs> okay. you are all, and the reason is because you're all about mindfulness. And so yes. I would love to hear your definition of mindfulness. Mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment on purpose with curiosity and non-judgment. So that's the short version. <laughs> and to kind of chat a little deeper on it, it's, it's the choice to accept what life is bringing you in this moment. It's the choice to feel 
your feelings in this moment because everything has something to offer. Everything has something to teach you. So it's not rejecting the negative feelings. It's saying, ah, I'm feeling tired today. That's just the reality. Now, where do I go from here? It's that opportunity to check in with reality and then decide how do I want to respond to what life is giving me today rather than just reacting mindlessly, but then also not judging yourself if you do react mindlessly because we're human, (laughs) right? So it's just taking it all in, being aware of your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, what's going on, um, and making the choices to kind of be who you want to be in that moment. How do you practice mindfulness in your life? It started off reluctantly. (laughs) So um, I came to the practice of yoga um, while I was in university. uh, As I said, I was a gymnast in the past. I really came to that practice as, uh, ooh, I can practice handstands and um, I can do this this strong practice that includes flexibility. It was just up my alley. Um, and then as I began to practice yoga more often, then we started, you know, they would always infuse the physical practice with the mindfulness aspect. And over time, I started recognizing that, wow, it's actually this mind practice that's really making a shift for me and helping me to make a shift in my life. But it was still the physical practice of yoga that the physical asanas that I felt really connected with. Um, and eventually loved it so much. I was like, I'm going to do my yoga teacher training. I want to teach and share this practice. So I went and did my yoga teacher training. And a big portion of our training was meditation and mindfulness practice, a dedicated sit-down practice where a teacher is guiding you through exercises to teach you how to pay attention to the present moment on purpose without judgment. So But even in my yoga teacher training, I was like, I don't like this meditation thing. (laughs) This is boring. I'd rather be sleeping or studying or practicing. But slowly it grew on me and I started noticing that that was the real thing that was making shifts in my life. It was giving me skills that I could bring with me into my day-to-day that helped me to reframe what was going on in my life and gave me that space between something happening and then how I want to respond rather than just reacting. So then I, after I got back from my yoga teacher training, I was like, I'm going to keep doing this mindfulness thing. So I started sitting every day, listening to a guided mindfulness practice. Um, in the beginning, I was a uh, classic, like, I'm going to do it all. And then I failed. I was like, I'm going to do a 40-minute mindfulness practice every morning before going to work. <laughs> that lasted like a week. <laughs> And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be a little bit more realistic. So I played this game with my mind where I went, I'm going to practice mindfulness this morning and I'm going to do 10 minutes. And then if my brain would say, you don't have time for that, I'd say, okay, do I have five minutes? Do I have four minutes? And then I would just go with whatever my brain said, okay, yeah, you've got three minutes. So I would sit down and I would listen to a guided mindfulness practice for three minutes, um, where I would just sit in silence for three minutes. And then it was once I started noticing shifts and noticing positives coming from just that two minutes, one minute, three minutes that I started going, wow, this is worth my time. I'd rather wake up 
five minutes earlier so that I have those full five minutes for my mindfulness practice because it makes a shift in my day. And then I started building up slowly from there until it just became part of my daily routine. It was wake up, brush my teeth, start the coffee, go and sit my to do my mindfulness practice, and then drink the coffee once the mindfulness practice is done. It's kind of my reward for having done it because <laughs> it isn't always easy. You don't sit there and see rainbows and butterflies and come out like, ha, ah, every time. Sometimes it's frustrating and it's annoying or it's boring or you're tired, just like any physical exercise you do. Some days you want to do it, some days you don't. Um, but it's that consistency of doing a little bit, even if you can't do it all, that builds skills over time that you start noticing in your day-to-day life. So yeah, that's how it started and it's evolved as my life has evolved. So I've never stopped doing mindfulness, but the practice has shifted. You know, walking mindfulness practices, going outside, I have a dog um, and we walk every day. That is a big part of my mindfulness practice now listening to a guided mindfulness practice now while my son naps on me (laughs) or, you know, listening to a guided mindfulness practice when I can't fall asleep at night, things like that. But I've noticed that over, it's been over 10 years now that I've been practicing mindfulness um, and the practice has shifted as my life has shifted that I really now am able to live mindfully more than I ever have before. And I really noticed that with the birth of my son and how I'm just really able to be present with him and non-reactive. And I don't think I would have been able to be that way had I not um, done this practice. So it's really been great in my life. (laughs) Yeah, it it really sounds like it. And what's a, I want to link in the show notes, what's the guided mindfulness practice that you use? You know what? There's there's different ones that I've used at different phases in my life. I oftentimes will like choose a teacher that I listen to what they have to offer for a while. And then once I'm like kind of bored with it or feel like I'm ready for a change, then I'll shift to a different teacher. Um, but there's one app that I keep coming back to because I find it very simple and also gives you the option of different time lengths, which I like, and that's the Calm app. So C-A-L-M, Calm. And uh, yeah, that's kind of like my touchstone one. Okay, perfect. Thank you for sharing. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. And I was smiling as you were describing how you you went from doing 40 minutes every day for a couple of days, and then it just was like, no, this is way too much. And then you started small, and you started building up. And what you described was basically the exact thing you need to do to build a habit is yes. you need to start small, you need to make it consistent, but you also need to, and you need to be cued. So you cued by, yes. uh, you know, making your coffee. Basically it was like, I'm going to wake up, brush my teeth, make my coffee. That cues me to then go be in my meditation space and do it for whatever, two, three minutes. And that's the perfect length of time to start a habit. And then you rewarded yourself after doing the new habit by drinking your yes. coffee. And so it was like the perfect, perfect thing to build a yeah. habit. So if anyone's out there trying to build habits, what Kaylee just went through is exactly how you do it. Yeah. And the book Atomic <laughs> Habits by, oh, James you must Clear. have read Atomic James Habits. Yes. James Clear. Yeah. Yes. That one is really great if you're struggling to to build habits. I'm always, I'm my background is biology. I'm a biology teacher. So I just love anything that explains how it's actually working in your brain. <laughs> yeah. And he does. So that, it's, good that. that book 
is one of the first ones I will recommend anyone in life. It's just, uh, I mean, we are a culmination of our habits. And so, yes, you know, it's probably a good thing to understand how habits are built or broken. And um, it's a good one. So I'm glad you brought it up. So let's say that you've got a friend in your life who you think could benefit from mindfulness practice, but for whatever reason, they are adverse to the idea. How would you approach them? I would not push them to do it because they will, most people when told to do something that they don't want to do, will just come up with more reasons why they shouldn't do it. (laughs) Good advice all around. Just (laughs) never try to force someone to do something they don't want to do because it really just makes them dig in their heels more and come up with reasons why X, Y, and Z, this is why I don't want to do it. This is why I don't want to do it. This is why I don't want to do it. In everything in life, as a teacher, as a parent, as a friend, my approach is to be the model, to just do it myself. If I think other people would benefit from it, maybe I'll talk about it a little bit, but not too much. (laughs) Um, But to just do it myself. And then if someone comes up to me and is looking for a teacher When you're in the space in your life where you've had enough and you're ready to make a change, then you seek out a teacher, right? So if this friend isn't ready for a change yet, they're still in the problem phase, not the I'm ready for a solution phase, they're going to stay in that problem phase until they're ready. But if I'm practicing mindfulness and they see wow, Kaylee's really able to handle stressful situations well. Wow, she's she's really calm. Wow, she's, you know, having success in life. <laughs> then when they're ready for a teacher, they're going to say, I want to be more calm. I want to have less stress. I want to have more success. Who can I turn to for help? Ah, I can turn to Kaylee because I've seen her being the way I want to be. Same is true with our kids. If we try to force them to practice mindfulness, they're they might, if they're not already interested, they probably won't want to do it. So it's just showing that you're doing it, but not pushing it on them. All right. So let's get into your journey. Um, we've talked a little bit about your tantrums early in life. Yeah. So we, we're gonna move, <laughs> we're gonna move past those. And uh I'm curious what group or click or whatever you want to call it were you in in high school and how did that influence you? <laughs> um I would say I was, how to describe my group? I was in a group of overachievers. <laughs> I had, you know, I was in the the good crowd, right? I wasn't running with the wrong kids. I was running, if, like for a parent's perspective, I was really lucky that just like my age group, we had a lot of leaders, a lot of people that like wanted to do good in the world, wanted to make a change, uh, wanted to do well in school. So, you know, I'd hang out with my friends and we'd study together and I'd hang out with my friends and we would come up with a new club that should be introduced to the school or we'd go volunteer together. Um, so I was really oh, lucky. Kidding. You to were just, an overachiever. I was an overachiever. I was born that way. I actually <laughs> remember I have this one memory of um, being in kindergarten and parent teacher. And my teacher said to my parents, <laughs> she's a great kid, but she's too much of a perfectionist. She's having a hard time getting her work done because she's being too like nitpicky on each of the things she does. She just needs to get it done. So I was like, I am a recovering perfectionist since the day I was born. (laughs) Mindfulness has helped me with that, by the way. Um, I 
I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, it influenced me in the ways of just being around a lot of people that wanted to make positive change in the world it has made me grow up feeling like if there's a problem in the world, I can be the one to solve it. I don't have to wait for someone to uh, solve it for me. I have the power to make change. And so that's really what I've <laughs> done throughout my life and career is when I see something that I feel like needs to be improved or changed, I just dive right in. <laughs> so after university, did you go into teaching? Yes. So I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I went into university. Uh, the way that our um, teaching degrees work here in Canada is you do an undergrad um, in science or arts or whatever it is you choose first, and then you do a Bachelor of Education after that. Um, so you have to do your undergrad in the subject area that you want to teach. So I did my undergrad in science, um, in biology, and then um, I went into education next and wanted to be a high school science teacher. Um, so luckily, that's where I ended up right off the bat. And my goal in life, I thought what my career was going to entail was like, I love science so much. I can't wait to share it with the next generation of kids. I want to share my passion with them. And so I got into the classroom, started doing that right away. And my beginning to my career happened around the same time as my introduction to mindfulness and starting to practice mindfulness and yoga. And so I was starting to notice in my classroom that um, I had a lot of students that were struggling with things that I had struggled with when I was a student, you know, things like stress, anxiety, some of the overachievers, <laughs> things like that. And that these emotional things were often really affecting my ability to teach my students and their ability to learn. And so I recognized really early on that I couldn't just jump right into the academics with my students because they had emotional stuff that needed to be managed so that their brain was in a state where it was ready to learn. Remember how I was saying when we're feeling big emotions, our brain shuts down? Well, I saw that in my classroom before I found the research that explained it. And so when I, you know, read eventually that, oh yeah, your brain actually can't learn when you're stressed, when you're anxious, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I've been seeing in the classroom. Okay, so what's the solution to this? How do I get my students into a brain state where they are ready to learn? And since I had been learning mindfulness, practicing mindfulness, I was like, ah, I know. <laughs> we'll practice mindfulness in the classroom, get everyone's brain in a state where it's ready to learn first, and then I'll start teaching. And I saw huge shifts in my students while doing that. Of course, I made mistakes along the way in transferring how do I learn mindfulness for myself to how do I practice mindfulness with my students in the classroom. So made mistakes, learned from those mistakes until I got to a point that I was like, ah, I figured out the formula. And then I went, I need to share this because I had my colleagues coming into my classroom like, I don't get it. Why is this group of students that are normally so rowdy, like so calm in your classroom? Or why is this like student that struggles elsewhere having a lot of success in your classroom? What's different? And I would say, it's easy. Just practice mindfulness with them. And they're like, what? What's mindfulness? 
<laughs> so I was like, okay, we need to develop something that makes it easy for teachers to share this with students without having to be an expert and going to do their yoga teacher training and studying every book there is to learn and practicing with all the big teachers and things like that. So, <laughs> Well, Kayla, um, you, said, you said earlier about in high school, you're an overachiever and it empowered you to think about when you saw a problem that you didn't feel like, well, gosh, look around. Hopefully someone comes up with a solution. You thought, I can come up with a solution. I can fix the problem. Yeah. And it sounds like that's exactly, exactly. what you did. Exactly. Yep. And uh, and yeah, it worked. So that led to creating Educom um, with my business partner slash best friend and teaching colleague. We joined forces and, and created this program that would make it really easy for teachers and students to learn together because teachers have so much on their plates and um, they aren't experts in mindfulness. They aren't experts in social emotional development. That's not part of the training <laughs> when you become a teacher. You learn to teach the academic stuff. But what you have before you is real humans with real emotions. Um, and a lot of teachers struggle to figure out how to get the academics get to the academics when they're so stuck on the emotional stuff that they don't know how to deal with. So with Educom, teachers and students learn together and everyone is practicing mindfulness together using our program, which is audios. So they just press play, listen together, learn throughout the course of the year um, and every day get their brains into a state where they're calm and ready for teaching and learning. Because there's so many people that just, they see a problem and they say, okay, well, hopefully someone fixes that at some point and goes on with their life. And, you know, that's okay. But I, I think it's awesome that you and your business partner both said, you know what? No, we're going to go fix this problem and we're going to go um, put a solution out there in the market. And I think that's fantastic. When did you co-found Educom? We developed the program and then brought it into our classrooms in 2017. Um, and then we tested it um, and piloted it in schools across North America, so in the U.S., in Canada, um, and got a lot of feedback from it so that we could improve it, tweak it a little bit, make sure that it was really user-friendly. And once we did that, then we got a third party to evaluate the program to make sure that it was actually or check to see what what outcomes was it actually creating in classrooms to make sure that this thing that we're saying works is actually evidence-based, doesn't just yep. work in our classrooms, it works in other people's yep. classrooms too. Um, so we got that done and yeah, it showed that it helps students to improve in many different areas, both emotionally and academically, which is great because when you can manage the emotions, get the brains ready for learning, then you go farther with academics. So uh, yeah, that was in 2020 and uh, we're still going now. We're getting more and more teachers signing up and more and more students benefiting from the program. It's really exciting. So if you're okay, I want to dive a little bit into just the, you know, how we get maybe our brains to be in that state where, where we are prepared to learn. So maybe we can, if you're willing to share maybe an example of something that, that you do, um, or that, or that teachers can do, and then talk a little bit more about the, we can dive into a little bit about the, just the mental health status right now. I think of, you know, K through 12 and how do we maybe actively design classrooms or teaching curriculums and just high level stuff. I mean, obviously you have so much detail in, in your program, but are you open to kind of diving into a couple of those areas? 
Yeah, absolutely. Remind me which points we need to hit as we go in case I go yep. off on a tangent. Yep. But I know the first well, question uh, was uh, uh, getting that brain ready yeah. to learn. Super simple example. And this is the one that we teach right off the bat because adults, teens, three-year-olds can all benefit from this practice and it's five-finger breathing. So try it with me, listeners. Try it with me if you aren't driving. (laughs) All you have to do is place one hand in front of you so that you're like looking at your hand. And then we're going to trace our hand using our index finger from the other hand. So starting where your thumb and wrist meet, so one side of the hand. Inhale deeply through your nose and trace up to the top of your thumb. And then exhale as you trace down the other side. Inhale, trace up your index finger. Exhale down the other side. Inhale up your middle finger. Exhale down. Inhale up your ring finger. Exhale down the other side. Inhale up your pinky finger. Exhale down the other side. And then just check in and notice how your body feels now and how your mind feels. Maybe you feel a little bit more calm. Maybe not. That's okay. The practice is just about noticing with openness and curiosity how you're feeling, how that worked for you. Breathing deeply tells our body that we're safe and that it's okay to be calm. So when we are feeling a little bit stressed, we have kind of that fight and flight system in our body working. So you can think of the calm state in our body, like our nervous system, when it's in the calm state, it's like the switch is on calm or the switch can be on stressed, which is making our body ready for action. So stress is super important, right? If a car swerves in front of us, we want to be able to act really quickly in that moment. So our body does what it needs to do. It gets our heart pumping. It gets our brain hyper-focused on the problem. It makes us jump to solutions. That's so important for our body throughout the day. There are lots of times when stress is a really good thing. We have a deadline coming up. That stress is going to light the fire under your butt to get it done, right? Super important. But we don't want our body to stay in that stress state for long. We want it to be like, you know, fueling the fire and then back to calm. So when we do deep breathing, that signals to our brain and to our nervous system that there isn't a danger here. We're safe. We can get back into that calm state. And then when we're in the calm state, our heart is pumping at, you know, it's a regular rhythm. We're breathing naturally, normally, deeply, our digestion goes back to normal, our brain can focus, our brain can learn, our brain can retrieve its memories and make new memories. Um, But when we're in that stress state, all those things aren't working because our body is focused on saving our life in this moment, essentially. Um, Whereas the calm state is like, everything is good, let's focus on long-term health. So again, these two systems, super important to swing back and forth through the day. So having these touchstone breathing exercises or practices that we do during the day to help us get back to that calm state in case we're kind of stuck in the stress state is really helpful for our health and our well-being in the short and the long term. Hmm. It reminds me, this is kind of off the wall, but as you were talking about going, you know, flipping the switch from calm to stress back to calm. So there's a basketball player, Steph Curry, who plays for the Golden State Warriors. And it is known that he well, is one of the best basketball players in the world, but he also 
runs the most of any basketball player. So he's the one that's running as more than any other player. But what you notice is when he goes to the bench is that he immediately goes into this like Zen. He gets his body as calm as possible, extremely intentionally to allow his heart rate to go down so that he can be prepared to go run around like crazy again when he goes back in the game. So when you were talking about that, that switch, like I've, I see that in professional athletes, they get, they go from that calm to, I need my body to be as active as possible, but then I want to get back to calm as quickly as possible so that I'm prepared to go back into action again. Totally. If we can really harness these two sides, I think there's a lot um, in the mainstream talked about how stress is bad. You need to avoid stress. Stress is bad for your health. There's actually studies that show that thinking that stress is unhealthy actually makes it more unhealthy. (laughs) So you actually have more negative health outcomes if you think that your stress is bad than if you don't think your stress is bad, um, which is really interesting. The power of the mind is really cool. But the the reality is it's biological. This is part of our body system. Same thing with emotions. Anger is biology. (laughs) You can't just never feel anger. That's not human. We need to feel anger. We need to feel happy. We need to feel joyful, but we also need to feel stressed. We also need to feel anxious. We need to feel this whole spectrum of emotion and our body needs to be able to flip back and forth between these two natural, normal, important parts of our nervous system um, in order to live a good life. So being scared of one or the other isn't helpful, but if we can learn to harness it, if we can build skills that help us to manage that switch, then that can be so helpful. Now we can actually use stress to our advantage. We can use calm to our advantage rather than just being controlled by it. Yeah. And it gets right back to your why, Kaylee, about you said your job in life is to experience the full spectrum of what life has to offer. And so all of those emotions are part of that spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. All right. You gave us the five finger. So if you're a teacher your teacher in a classroom full of students who are maybe a little bit rowdy, rambunctious, whatever, and you've got no experience with mindfulness, what's the second thing that you would do? I would actually back up a little bit and just set the tone for this practice. So this five-finger breathing practice, we aren't going to introduce this when our students are already rambunctious. This is a skill that we want to teach them over time. So again, our brain can only learn new things when it's calm. So we want to catch our students when they're already in a calm state and teach them five-finger breathing when they're already calm. And then once we've practiced it several times and they get it and they've experienced that switch from feeling, you know, in a heightened state to a more calm state, they've seen how it works, they've felt it in their bodies, then we can start using it and say, Oh, okay, I noticed that you know we're uh, having a hard time focusing right now. Let's just take a breather. Let's pause and do five finger breathing together. And depending on the age group, with teens, I would just lead it. I would say, okay, let's go. Everyone, put your hand out, and then we would do the five finger breathing together. Not make a big deal out of it. Not like let's get into our Zen zone. They're going to think that's silly. And <laughs> you want to meet them where they are um, and not make a big deal of it. With little kids. 
you want to include them. So, you know, maybe getting them, you know, seeing if there's someone in the class that wants to lead five finger breathing right now, or, you know, let's do five finger breathing with a partner um, or something to make it a little bit more fun and interesting and engaging um, is a really good way to, to do it with kids. But again, we want to practice beforehand. So that can look like noticing as a teacher or parent, this, this is exactly the same for parents. So when is a time that my students, my classroom, or my child is already calm? Maybe in the classroom, that's first thing in the morning. Maybe that's right before lunch or right after lunch. Whatever it is, it's different for every group. With your kids, maybe it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's right before bed. Maybe it's right before a meal. Um, you know your kids best. So we want to introduce it at that time, do it at least a week, and then we can start cueing them to use it in times where they're feeling big emotions. You got me thinking about, you know, I was thinking about this five finger thing. And I think little kids, you know, they're, they're just, they, they're sponges. They, they soak up everything and they'll, they'll do whatever, right? Adults, I think are for the most part, pretty mature. And Hey, this seems like a good idea. Teenagers are punks. <laughs> and I, I'm curious <laughs> your experience because I'm envisioning myself. I put myself in that punk teenager or whatever. I think I know everything. I think I'm the greatest. I think I'm invincible, whatever. I <laughs> am just envisioning a teacher doing that with 30 11th graders or you know, 16 year olds. And then like half of them just rolling their eyes, but you're the one that's experienced in that. So you tell me where I'm wrong there. <laughs> So I'm just going to um, explain what I see. I see teenagers are really awesome people that are trying to figure out who they are and are trying to make a place for themselves in the world and whose brains are in a phase of development that requires them to go against authority. That's developmentally normal. They aren't bad for doing that. They aren't wrong. Even the keeners are wired to go against authority. So rather than fighting against that, being like, this is okay, this is just how it is, and uh, let's work with it. So it's meeting them where they're at and making them, helping them to connect the dots of how this can be useful to them. Rather than saying, this is why you need to do it, you say, okay, I'll say it as if you were my students and how I do this in the classroom, okay? So for myself, growing up, I experienced stress, anxiety, worry, anger, all the range of emotions that we feel as humans. And a lot of the time, I felt that, that those emotions were wrong or bad or I shouldn't feel them. And so I tried to stifle them down or hide them. And as I became an adult, I realized that that wasn't helpful. So luckily as an adult, I found this thing called mindfulness. And at first I thought it was kind of dumb. I thought it was kind of weird. I felt uncomfortable doing it. Um, but I learned, I heard that lots of studies showed that it helped with these problems I had, stress, anxiety, worry, big emotions that I didn't know how to control. So I practiced it as an adult and it helped me so much that I just thought, I want to share this with my students because I wish I knew this when I was in high school. It would have helped me so much. So I'm going to share this mindfulness thing with you because I think it's going to help you in your life. You're probably going to think it's stupid. You're probably going to think it's weird. You're probably going to feel uncomfortable doing it, especially at first. And that is totally okay. You're allowed to feel whatever you want to feel about it. You're allowed to hate it if you want. 
that's fine. But we're going to do it every day. We're going to practice it at the beginning of class every single time that you're here with me. And even if you don't want to practice, it'll just be quiet time where you don't have to work, where you can just rest, relax. We're going to do five minutes of this guided mindfulness practice so that everyone can just chill out and then we'll get into the learning after that. So all that I ask is that you respect the people that are practicing, that you don't do anything to disturb people. This is just our quiet time. Whether you're practicing or not, that's fine, but we're going to respect everyone and be quiet during this time. All right, let's do it. Bravo. So that's my Bravo. way of introducing I would, it. <laughs> even as a punk, I think I would have done that for sure. Yeah. Um, and you, <laughs> listeners, Kaylee expertly reframed punk, by the way. That was, that was very well done. <laughs> That was extremely it's, well Whenever people say, you know, oh, teens these days, I'm like, you're not spending enough time around teenagers. Teenagers are awesome. They want to change the world. They want to make things better. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to do things better than we did it. Like, I'm inspired every day when I spend time around teenagers. They, so you just need to spend more time around teenagers. <laughs> yep. You are spot on. I had uh, one of my really good friends, David Knockle, is uh, a high school teacher in Colorado. And I had him on the podcast and we had a very similar conversation about how wonderful, how great their hearts are. And yeah, they're just you know going through a lot of emotional things in their life and bodies are changing. And it's never easy being a teenager and you know even harder still now with social media and all the other stresses and things going on in their life. So, well, neat. Well, I appreciate you going through that. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about, you know, the importance of mental health with children and like designing environments, whether at the home or the classroom that are designed for their success in this area. So any commentary on how we design our classroom or our homes for this type of environment? most useful thing that I can say is let's make a mental health hygiene routine normal. So brushing your teeth every day, we talked about this, right? You get into the routine of brushing your teeth every day because it's important for your oral health. You might not like it, especially kids. I'm sure with your kids, it's probably a struggle at times to get them to brush their teeth because they don't see the long-term benefits. But sure. you just keep practicing it. You make a routine of it until as an adult, the thought of not brushing your teeth is like, oh my God, that's the worst. I mean, now, you were willing to you give know. up coffee. So <laughs> exactly. that should speak how, <laughs> how powerful that is. <laughs> that says a lot. It really does. <laughs> so if we can start these mental health hygiene routines and teach them to our kids when they're young and understand that sometimes they're going to want to do it, sometimes they're not. We have to kind of toe that line between offering the opportunity to practice it. We don't want to force them and make it something that they hate and don't want to do. We need to help them see the benefits of it and why it's helpful. So having conversations like, you know, today we practiced five-finger breathing. How did it make you feel? And then having them voice how they felt and being okay with that. If they say, I loved it, I feel more calm now. Okay, that's great. You felt more calm. Cool. When would it be useful to feel more calm in your regular life? And kids are like quick. In, in kindergarten, the first time I do mindfulness with kindergarten kids, they know right away how 
that practice can help them. They'll say, when I get angry at my brother or sister, or when I'm in trouble with my parents, or when, you know, like I uh, am sad because my friend doesn't want to play with me. They, they come up with ideas right away. They can see how it applies to their life. So if we can help them see how it applies to their lives, it's going to help them to, to really engage with the practice. So at home, what can a mental health hygiene routine look like? Now, it doesn't have to be mindfulness. This isn't the only one-size-fits-all cure. Maybe you're practicing gratitude together and you talk about what you're grateful for at the end of the day. Um, that's helping your brain, your child's brain develop connections and superhighways for gratitude in their brain. You said kids are sponges. They literally are. Their brain is is forming for what they're practicing. So if they're practicing gratitude every day, their brain is literally wiring for gratitude to make that gratitude natural and quick and easy and efficient in the brain. It's making this super highway. If we are practicing mindfulness with them, their brain is wiring to be mindful. So, you know, practicing it at a developmentally appropriate um, stage and amount for that age. And when I say developmentally appropriate, we can, you know, maybe you look up what's developmentally appropriate for this age, or maybe you just notice, okay, my kid doesn't like practicing mindfulness this way. They don't like sitting still. How can we do this where they're moving? Or, you know, kind of just instead of, oh, it works or it doesn't, like how can I modify it to make it fit for them? Make it what they like to do. Your kid likes to color, Give them the chance to color mindfully. Ask them questions like, what color is that? You know, how, how does it make you feel when you're coloring? How are you feeling right now? Talking about feelings and emotions um, as they're doing a, an activity that helps them to be in the present moment on purpose. So that could be, you know, with my eight-month-old, we go for walks every day and I out loud talk about what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm smelling. Do you see those birds? Do you hear the wind? Do you feel the cold on your skin? Getting used to just noticing what's going on. So, okay, I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent here, but how do we make this a routine in our lives that feels sustainable and um, is helping our child to wire their brain for understanding how they can manage their emotions and that switch from calm to, to stress response. So in the classroom, we have our program Educom specifically to make this a mental hygiene routine in the classroom. It's you sign, you know, it takes the work and the guessing game out for teachers where all you have to do is have the same time every day that you're practicing with Educom. You have it on your schedule, whether that's first thing in the morning. For me as a high school teacher, it was always at the first part of the class. So first five minutes of class time was mindfulness. Um, maybe it's like right before recess or right after recess for younger kids. It doesn't matter when, as long as it's the same time every day so the students know to expect it and it's part of the daily routine. Log in, press play, listen to the practice for five minutes maybe chat about it after, and then moving on. So it's not like this long, like, I need to do 20 minutes of mindfulness with my kids every day. It's really about the repetition that's important um, and actually better to do a little bit often rather than a lot less often. You've shared so many tips and advice and little things that all of us can try, whether we're an adult, a parent, a teacher, a kid. I know we're just like at the tip of the iceberg, 
of all the things that you and your business partner and Educom does. I've listened to a couple of your episodes where you talk about a lot of this stuff, where you bring on guests, and I think you're you're above 150 episodes, which as a podcast host, I mean, I'm I'm right around 30 right now, and <laughs> I can't imagine doing 5X. I mean, I hope to get to that point at some point. So you should be really proud of, of what y'all have done. But where can people learn more about what you're doing over at Educom? Yeah, you can learn everything at our website, educalm.com. So that's spelled E-D-U-C-A-L-M-E, educalm.com. And there you'll find all the information about the program. You'll be able to sign up if you'd like. But I also have a special page for your listeners. If they go to educalm.com slash welcome, on that page we have all of our free resources. So um, our program, you can use it for free. So it's you can use our first unit for free for as long as you want. Don't need a credit card, nothing like that. Um, and then if you want the paid version for more content, you can sign up if you'd like. But on our educom.com slash welcome page, we have a variety of things to meet you where you're at. So we have an ebook, we have um, a webinar, um, we have a place to sign up for our free trial. We have a free lesson plan. So this will be useful for anyone and everyone, whether you have kids or you don't. You can check out these resources. Um, There's some printables, some posters for different breathing strategies. Really, there's something for everyone there on that educalm.com slash welcome page. Excellent, Kaylee. Well, I will make sure to link that. I'll link your podcast. I'll probably link a, a special, uh, an episode that I really liked on the pod. So um, listeners can find all those in the show notes and some other things that we discussed today, because I know we got into a lot. Well, Kaylee, I'm just so grateful for your time. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. I love your enthusiasm around this subject and wanting to to you know do as much as you can for the kids and the teachers and the parents out there and and congrats on having one of your own it's uh it's a wonderful thing and uh i know you're you're gonna love it so um we have built with kaylee lefko today kaylee thanks for being on thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure hey listener it's clay thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the build with clay podcast I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.